is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Mesh Tsunami podcast. Today, we kick off our fifth season with six conversations from episode one, our update from the co-hosts, and a look at some of the patient treatment challenges we'll face this year, particularly connected to the potential approval of resmeterone. There'll be no vault this week. It will be back next week. This final conversation continues on the topic of care, consumer advertising, and suboptimal patient treatment. Louise Campbell raises the issue of pharmaceutical companies advertising direct to consumers in the U.S., possibly as an offset to the telemedicine issue. I share my suspicion this will not be a priority for the resmeterone manufacturer, Madrigal, for at least six to 12 months after launch. Your Schottenberg reminds us that increased agonists are yet to prove the kinds of fibrosis regression levels that resmeterone demonstrates. And in general, we agree that issues around education and open communications will become more critical for all Maslow stakeholders as the drug becomes available, information about NITs expand, and at the same time, consumer advertising grows. After having January away from the podcast, Jorn, Louise, and I all are happy to be back. This discussion does not go into tremendous depth, but provides a high-level view of how complicated things might get for Maslow stakeholders in the year ahead. It's a bit to digest, so just sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. When you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. The other thing I was going to comment on was obviously in the US, you can advertise drugs on TV. How the advertising is going to work and looking at the metrics of how the awareness rises and who starts to look for what and why within that public engagement. I'm actually quite interested to see how that's going to work and how that's going to be handled. Roger Green. I have no knowledge, okay, but I would be surprised to see significant consumer advertising uh, for at least six months, maybe a year, because the, the last thing you want to do is send patients. This goes back to where I started. You don't want to send patients into doctor's offices when the doctors don't know what to do. So doctors have to get educated first. And in fact, the most compelling thing about a campaign would be to educate patients that there's a drug, but you, but to know about your liver, you got to go to a specialist. Because going back to my first concern, if you start doing consumer advertising too early, you're going to flood patients into primary care practices. And I don't believe the magical sales force is going to be geared up to handle primary care at launch. So you might wind up sending patients into doctors who don't know what the, what the question is. And that's a really bad thing for everybody. So I, I agree with you. It'll be interesting to watch. And what else will be interesting on that is I remember being at some very heated Arzold and easel meetings about patients wanting access and the drug companies ruling out the cost. And there was the, obviously hepatitis C is the best one. It was predicted, I think, to take 3% of the American GDP, medical GDP, things like that. And therefore, this whole anger at not being allowed access. We've obviously had the experience of being turned down in the past and people getting disappointed. So there are patients out there who want access to the medications in the near future. So and they are well aware. So it is a very difficult balancing act, and particularly to be not let you've got some who obviously in India have a prescribed medication and the first, but the first Western, a US approved medication is going to be interesting. I think I might go all the way to fascinating, actually. I might go past interesting, all the way to fascinating, maybe with mouths agape. Let me go back to GLP-1s. For, let me go back to incretins for a sec, okay? When Lily put out today, press release or yesterday, on, on the uh, phase two fatty liver results with terzepatide, they talked about elimination of mesh, although I don't know exactly what that means. It's a three-paragraph press release, but they didn't say anything about uh, reduction in fiber. No, let me amend that. They said that there was a clinically meaningful reduction in fibrosis and gave no numbers. So uh, I don't know how that's going to play into any of this. But if you start seeing publications that the GLP-1s or available in, in cretins have an impact on scarring, I don't know what that does. But it becomes another confounder. So we're at the bottom of our hour. It feels like time has flown. I guess we all haven't talked to each other in a long time. So 
On close, what's the one thing that each of you would like to make sure we touch on specifically in an episode sometime in the next month? Jaren Schattenberg. Roger, I think I'd like to expand on some of the uh, anti-obesity drugs we've been seeing, and I'm talking about mechanisms that expand the GLP-1, a mechanism that does have an indirect effect on weight loss, uh, indirect effect on liver fibrosis and uh, promoted NASH resolution, but by combining them with some other MOAs, including glucagon or GIP, I think this is an interesting topic, and considering the dominant of weight loss drug at this point, if we combine them with more liver-specific effects, this will be a very interesting topic moving forward, and I think we should be discussing this in the future. You know, Jorn, I think that's great. I would like to go after that topic with people who can talk about the medical issues and also the patient issues and maybe even the payer issues all at once. Let's take a 360, even if it takes us a couple of weeks of episodes. Let's take a 360 on that and see how all the pieces might fit together. I think that's fantastic. Louise? I think for me, it would be looking at education strategies, how we're going to get the best supportive network out there. And we obviously have to design clinical pathways that are going to fit what's coming. And a lot of us don't necessarily have clinical pathways that all function in the right way at the right time. So I think that's a big ask. I think we've also, in Australia, we've got the finalisation of the new recommendations for fatty liver. And we're hoping to get Leon Adams and a couple of other physicians onto the podcast when that's um, in its final stages. So that's exciting because Australia are getting there. Hopefully, uh, while you're in Australia, so that uh... Um, I'll have to get up at midnight or two in the morning or something to do that one, but that'll be absolutely well, worth it. Well, it'll be a, certainly a t- an interesting time zone, potentially Sydney, Perth, uh, yep. the US and Germany. You know, I hadn't <laughs> realized until recently that Australia had all those half-hour times. Uh, yeah, WA to uh, see itself as in a completely different area, but we're yep. three hours behind Melbourne and a four-and-a-half-hour flight. You know, the old Jimmy Buffett, Alan Jackson song about it's five o'clock somewhere. It's much easier to make it five o'clock somewhere if a lot of the world is on the half-hour. So, so I think I would like to take some diving into diagnostics in particular NITs. Because if we're talking about confounders of incretins, whether GLP-1s or just here's a data point. Lily also announced they sold $175 million of uh, terzepatide in the first six weeks on market. That's a lot fast. So all this is going to create challenges for diagnostics also. And I believe that patients would be better served by payers taking a more educated perspective, including liver-aware diagnostics for every patient anywhere in the metabolic spectrum, because that's going to be the best way to protect against not getting livers treated when they should be or getting them treated when they shouldn't be, which is the things I think we're going to want to avoid. And I think that has the positive benefit of finding liver disease and those at highest risk of liver cancer while looking for something else. That's where we might be able to tip this back back into the our balance of preventing liver cancer and early mortality due to those sort of areas. Agreed. By all means, contact me if you want those. <laughs> we can do help on that one. Look, I think the challenge is going to be where the money comes from to do that, though, because the diagnostics companies are typically not big investors in mass education. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded the conversation or send an email to questions at surfingmash.com. We'll be back next week with a stakeholder-centric look at the issues of 2024. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Surfing Mash.